0: in the lab late one night, when my eyes beheld an eerie sight, for my monster from his slab began to rise, and suddenly, to my surprise, Hello again, everyone, and welcome to episode 93 of Three Point Podcast. The three of us are going to dig deep into the Michigan sports scene with takes from three different generations. Our crew includes Matt Burns of ESPN in Charlotte, North Carolina, and Jared Fattel of Grand Valley State University and Fox 17 TV in Grand Rapids. I'm Ted Fattel of Sportsnet Michigan and Z92.5 The Castle, and our partners include the Corona Connection, Card Service Michiana, Rivals Taphouse and Grill, Shared and Auction Service, and ProMec Engineering. Our Sportsnet Michigan Radio Network syndication teammates include Sports Radio Detroit and WJSZ. Help us continue to grow and subscribe on Apple Podcast, iTunes, SoundCloud, and all the other big podcast hosting sites. You can also follow us and hit us up with your comments and questions on social media at 3Point Pod. Ryan Terpstra, he'll be on to talk some college football with us once again. And Jake and Jack Strapp will also hop on board a little bit later on. It's a jam-packed show, and we're gonna get it rolling right after these important messages. The group, the Crypt Kicker Five. Played the match. They played the Monge.
3: You'll do better with Sheridan.
0: All right, guys. Hey, we got a boatload of stuff to get into, but let's recap a little bit on last weekend. I know, Matt, you had, uh, I'm sure, some mixed feelings as the the parents, you know, about my age, uh, are wrapping up uh, a long time in your family house. Uh, that You had to have some very mixed emotions there, huh?
4: Yeah, it's definitely a weird feeling, you know, when you start seeing your parents getting older, or reaching retirement, and then, you know, that, that house that I grew up in in Owasso, that's the only house, I've ever known as far as like my parents you know that I grew up in they've lived in that house for I forget the exact number 36 38 years or something like that so um, so yeah I mean obviously I haven't lived there for a while I basically moved out after high school but like that was always the house that I went back to for holidays or you know whenever I came home from Connecticut or now North Carolina so so yeah it was you know it's mixed emotions like you said but you know I'm excited for them to start traveling and you know, move up north and enjoy retirement. So, yeah, we had a nice little party uh, with some family and stuff like that to kind of say say bye to the house.
0: You know, you're the middle child here on the podcast. And, uh, I mean, Jared, your parents have been in their house your entire life. My parents have been in their house still that I grew up in, so neither one of us know the feeling of, you know, (laughs) the parents going on and and moving out of the house. That's got to be strange.
5: I do a little bit because I remember when I was in high school – there was some mysterious buyer who basically showed up to our house and said, "You know, what's it going to take to get this house?" Really? For lack of better words, yes. I don't know if you ever heard
0: this. No, I don't so, think I've um, ever heard that story.
5: And my parents told us, like, "Hey, there's a possibility we could be selling the house. We're going to show them and show around the house. And if you've seen Step Brothers, where they basically sabotage <laughs> the that was what that was what me and my brothers wanted to do. That was the worst idea we've ever heard, where they wanted to sell the house and move somewhere to a bigger house or something." And luckily it ended up not working out, but I can only imagine, I mean, now that Matt's grown up, it, probably, it wouldn't really matter to me nowadays, I would be upset about it, but I can only imagine kind of giving up the household. It's the house that Matt built,
0: well, you it's, know? It's, where it's all the house the, that Matt built. Yeah, all the memories are there. I mean, all your, I'm sure, Thanksgiving get-togethers, Christmas holidays, you know, uh, just the weekend, you had to have some private moments, I would guess, where you're just sitting there going, man, this is it.
4: Yeah, yeah, and I mean, we used to have, like, you know camp out because they have a pretty big yard so we'd have like cousins over to pitch tents and camp out in the yard in the summer and you know all that kind of stuff so especially my my daughter was there so she was able to like ride the tire swing and Aww. you know we, we made leaf piles and we're jumping around in the leaves and stuff so you know we played a game of kickball in the yard so all the stuff that we used to do as kids so yeah it was weird seeing the house empty but you know like I said it it's it's a bittersweet feeling, but I really, I'm, I'm mostly excited for my parents to enjoy retirement. What does your room now? What does your room look like? Is it the same
5: it looked as when the day you left in high school, or was it the thing where, like with me, the second I left, I walked in my room the other day and it was the carpet was torn up, everything was off the walls, nothing was in the room. So, which one is it for you?
4: <laughs> kind of, I, I guess maybe the middle of that. It definitely was not exactly how I left it you know, after high school, but they kind of transitioned the kids' rooms into, like, guest rooms, I would would say, you know, neutral colors, beds or whatever. So, yeah, definitely don't have, like, the Shaquille O'Neal posters and Michigan football posters all over the walls anymore.
0: Yeah, Jared, your room was like that too, wasn't it? You had, like, a shelf with all these uh, bobbleheads and posters on the wall, and that's not there anymore?
5: All I know is when my brother took over my room before I went to college last year, it was like a day, Tara. He said, I had to take everything out of that room, or he would look like the biggest loser in the world. I had Legos. I had. It was kind of embarrassing. It was like a little nerd room. But hey, it was me. It was what I
0: liked. Well, so. uh, that pretty much says it all about, about you. We'll just leave that there. <laughs>
4: you know, it's easy though, Ted, you said your parents still live in the house that
0: you grew up in you get this okay i was born in 1956 my parents uh i started out in an apartment building in downtown corona that's no longer there you know where the uh, chemical bank is in corona there across from the courthouse yeah well there used to be a big old brick apartment building there and that's where i started out the first couple years of my life Uh, my uncle owned the building well anyway my parents found this i mean just a shack i mean it was a shack on kingsley street there across from the high school and my dad he's a very handy guy even at this age of 89 he still likes to tinker works on plumbing himself you know well anyway he found this house and it it was being sold for i don't remember how much a thousand bucks or something i mean it was it was just a dump you know and he looked at it and said you know what i think we can fix this place up well long story short him and a couple friends went through and, and remodeled this place. It was a two-bedroom, had a kitchen, had a little living room area. And uh, they, they had four of us kids in one bedroom for about four years. Uh-huh. And then they built next door. So, so my whole childhood was basically in a plot of land about an acre and a half. So they mo- we moved from the bungalow, as they called it, to uh, the three-bedroom house next door, and thank goodness we had a basement. You know, we had five kids, and one bathroom. And I don't know how we did that, but uh, but we we somehow did. And I guess we became close because of that.
4: Yep.
0: But I'll tell you what, a lot of memories in that house, and it will be sad, I'm sure. You know, and I'm old, but it'll be sad when I when I see the day that they're no longer there, and you know, and life moves on. But a lot of great memories, that's for sure. Definitely.
4: The one. Especially, the one I mean, thing. I... Probably got some there too now. Yeah. Yeah, the one. Yeah, it'll be sad when that
5: house is 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 gone. Uh, the one thing I remember about when I was a kid growing up, I always wanted to see what my dad's room and what my uncle Ted's room looked like growing up, but the door was locked. <laughs> and as a as like a ten year old, my imagination would run wild. What's behind that door, where it's been locked for the last five years? and so never really knew so who knows what those weird kids did
0: with area yeah i finally ended up in the basement in that one room uh you know in the in the family room part there on the end of the building there that was my room uh in high school was that before
5: or after you were caught uh, ripping weed
0: and then s- blowing the smoke out No, no, that was that was before that. That that's when uh, I made my transition out of the house into adulthood. <laughs> hey, well, that's enough about our our internal talk. I know uh Halloween is coming up, boys. Uh, anything we want to get on the table in reference to uh, this holiday? Yeah,
5: something I was just kind of wondering. I was, you know, reminiscing on my the glory days when I was in elementary school, middle school what kind of trick-or-treaters were you guys because when i look back i was the king of trick-or-treating you know i, I would run from door to door fill up all my sack with candy more candy than anyone else in the house anyone else in the neighborhood I, at the end of the night when i was trading with my brothers and my friends i would just hoard all of the skittles whereas like with my other with my other friends you know, they basically used Halloween as an excuse to to make out with their girlfriends or you know do kind of cool stuff like that. Not for me. I was I'm gonna get as much candy as I can.
0: So they were making out <laughs> with their they were making out with their girlfriends. What what age group are you talking? You talking uh, senior in high school or what are you no, talking middle school? About? <laughs> like like fifth fifth through eighth grade. Okay. You
4: know, ten to fourteen, around that age. <laughs> yeah, I definitely remember kind of having the same mindset as you. So I, I grew up you know, the house we were just talking about, way out in the country. So we didn't trick-or-treat around there because the houses were so spread out. We actually did go to Crestview sometimes because you can just knock out 40 houses pretty quick. But we would also, I went to Elsa Meyer Elementary School, so we'd go to that neighborhood and yeah. go up and down the streets right there. But, yeah, I was the same way. I, I would try, I wasn't like diddly-daddling around trying to check out everyone's costumes. I was like, let's hit off all these houses as fast as possible.
0: Oh, that makes three of us boys. I was a candy maniac and in our neighborhood at the time it was uh, it was Kid Central and House Central. I mean, everybody had candy. I one year I remember my neighbors who I hung out with a lot, they decided to have their parents take us to a wasso and we were gonna hit all the rich neighborhoods, you know.
4: It's, it's funny out, everyone's got the, the rich neighborhood.
5: it was big
0: know, big mistake. Big mistake, man. They Uh-oh. were chintzy on the candy.
4: <laughs> yeah, it was probably Sophomore, junior, high school. Me and a a couple buddies. We went to that Gould Woods neighborhood in Owasso. Kind of same thing. A lot of nice houses, and that actually they were handing out a lot of full size candy bars. So we made out pretty well when we did that. But I think we got turned away a few times because we were like, I'm I'm pretty sure it was sophomore, junior, high school. So some people were like, you guys are too old for this. What's the age? What's your if you
5: guys are handing out candy? I mean, you guys are the dads of the group. Is there any age where you say, "All right, this is a little, this getting a little bit overboard"? And and part two of that, Matt, how in the
4: world are you going trick or treating on the Gould Street Woods? Haven't you heard that that's like devil worshiper woods? I haven't heard anything like that. Me the only thing we knew was that there were a couple of nice houses in there, and it, it was near where my buddy's house was that I was staying. So we walked over there. So no, I haven't heard that story. Is this like some it's, Halloween tall tale, or is it true, true? It's like,
5: online.
4: Now, Gould Street,
5: I, I might make myself look like an idiot here, but I'm just going to ask anyway. Th- that is the one with the soccer fields, correct? That woods right there by Gould Street, the like huge soccer fields?
0: Well, that used to be called Rosevere Park. Yes, okay. that's Devil Worship of Woods. Okay, Gould, Gould subdivision is it's kind of behind Kroger, isn't it? Yeah, Man. yeah, yeah. yeah. Oh, I'm way off. Yeah, off of Copus hey, Road.
5: Mind. That's like I said, I'm going to sound like an idiot. I that- was re- referencing Rosevere Park.
0: Yeah, Where, that used to be kind of Devil a scary part. Yeah, I don't doubt that. There's, there's,
5: but what did you guys dress up for? Dress up as like when you were kids. What was the popular thing? Because I know when I was a kid, everyone dressed up as either Jack Sparrow or Harry Potter. It was basically <laughs> one of those two.
0: Yeah, I I dressed up. My main costume, the one I remember the most. I think we talked about this before. I dressed up one year as John F Kennedy because my parents had had special costumes with John F Kennedy and Jackie Kennedy. My sister Mary had to had to wear that mask. So that Oh that, god. That was one memorable one. And then uh Batman, the original Batman with Adam West. That was my big go-to a couple years, I believe.
4: That's that's such a like tale of the times or whatever. Jared saying Jack Sparrow and Harry yes. Potter,
0: and you're JFK. <laughs> I know. Can you imagine <laughs> that? Funny. Anybody listening, can they even imagine JFK? That was my Halloween outfit. The
5: thing. The thing that's bad about a JFK costume, I mean, JFK just a strikingly handsome guy. If you are a knockout-looking guy, you are going to be boxed. You don't look anything like JFK. What do you know? up
0: as JFK. You well, got be a very good-looking guy to hold that on. You, you probably can't even relate to this. This is back when you had the uh, the plastic mask oh. with a little rubber ba- rubber band around the back, and you could hardly breathe in those things. Yeah. You'd be sweating bullets.
4: Yeah, those were pretty I good. I I definitely I rocked the. You guys remember the old you know like the kid football uniforms with the little plastic helmet and shoulder pads? Oh yeah, I had a Michigan one. I rocked that for like probably three years in a row. I did the classic ones, like a pirate, a werewolf, and stuff like that. But, but yeah, I I, I don't know. That Michigan football costume or
0: uniform was definitely my favorite as a kid. Now, Jared hasn't gotten into this yet, Matt, but uh, let me ask you this. Have you and your wife or girlfriends ever gone to an adult Halloween party dressed up? And what was your costume?
4: I've never done, like, a, a couple, like a coordinated costume. I honestly, for... Maybe we talked about this last Halloween, but for seven years in a row, from my freshman year of college into, like, two or three years after college, I was a beer pong table. Oh, yes. And I, I changed up, like, hits. the
0: <laughs>
4: format, I guess, of the beer pong table every year. My favorite was I had a, some buddies who worked at Lowe's in college, and they brought home a refrigerator box, <laughs> and I cut, like, a whole refrigerator box and wore that around all night. <laughs>
0: I had when one I, memorable party I went to, uh, you know, oh, before God. I was married, and I uh, I did do a couple's thing, and I was the big bad wolf. I had a full dark beard at the time, you know, and I had the wolf mask on the top, and uh, my date was Little Red Riding Hood. That, that wasn't too bad. <laughs> That's that, pretty cool. That I need it, to see a picture of that. That was a pretty good night, if you know what I mean. Are,
5: now, are the pictures, are the pictures gone of, of
0: that? I think I've got a picture of that somewhere, Jared.
5: It does. You could pull off a Wolfman costume very well. I
0: feel <laughs> it. It did turn uh, out pretty well.
5: How How about this one? The one you kind of said you dressed as JFK one year. Right. Me being the smart uh, young lad that I was, one year I dressed up as a uh, Teddy Roosevelt. <laughs> had the had the glasses, had the cowboy hat, the, the leather
0: gloves, <laughs> the you know
5: whatever he wears is a shirt, the jeans, the cowboy boots. It was. It was quite a setup. When other kids my age were dressing up as Troy Palamalu and Reggie Bush, I was Teddy Roosevelt.
0: Yeah, you took it a little bit further. I mean, you didn't go Teddy Roosevelt the president. You went Teddy Roosevelt the Rough Rider.
5: The Rough Rider, exactly.
0: Not bad. Not bad at all.
5: What, now, okay, there's one more thing that's kind of boggling my mind about and This is the big Halloween discussion. I'm going to say something that might be kind of uh, contentious. Uh, regular M&Ms are probably the worst chocolate money can buy. Where do
0: we stand on that? Uh, I, I wouldn't say it's the worst. It's not my go-to. I, I do enjoy regular M&Ms in my puppy chow, but on its own, i got to have M&Ms with peanuts.
4: Well, wow, I've got two things there. So pe- peanut butter M&Ms are my go-to
0: Ooh, M&Ms. That doesn't sound bad.
4: Yeah, Very my, good. The peanut ones, I've never just been a fan. I don't like nuts in my like brownies or mm-hmm. cake or stuff like that. So not a huge fan of the peanut ones. But you put M&Ms in your puppy chow? Yeah. I don't think I've ever heard of that.
0: Oh, yeah. You've got to have a little sweetness to go along with uh, the checks. He
4: makes,
5: my Aunt Lana makes some very good puppy chow. That's my favorite thing at the Christmas party every year.
0: She botched it it last year, though, Jared. I mean, you would like it because you're a Skittles guy, right?
5: Oh, I love Skittles. They threw Skittles in it? There's nothing nothing
0: wrong with that. I I don't like it. I I had made a suggestion to her, okay? And this is right up this conversation because I told her, hey, this year, why don't you try M&M's, the peanut butter M&M's? And she misheard me, and she put Skittles in it, and that just was a big downer for me.
4: How does it go no, from I don't, peanut butter I don't,
0: to Skittles? Uh, you got to <laughs> yeah, know my you, wife. I don't
5: know if that's a mishearing <laughs> or if that's just this guy. I'm not <laughs> <laughs> that's what that sounds like. You
0: never know. You never know. What thing, food.
5: You know what I was thinking that maybe you guys might want to think about handing out this year? What's that? Ted's going to roll his eyes at this. <laughs> You'd be the king of the neighborhood if you handed these out. Vape cartridges. What
0: would you say? Game cartridges?
5: <laughs> no. Va- vape cartridges. Oh, robots. vape. <laughs>
4: If you want to be the king of your neighborhood, that's
0: the way to go. <laughs> Probably can get a wholesale deal on those, you know what? Yep. <laughs> it's
4: funny, like, when I think about talking about Halloween in college or whatever, so, you know, we've talked about before that I was in the generation when Facebook started. Right. That that There were two times of the year that was the best for Facebook. Halloween and then spring oh, yes. break and summer. Because Halloween was just when... You saw all the pictures of what the girls were wearing to all their parties, Whoa. and somewhere, like it transitioned to. So, like you mentioned, the Red Riding Hood costume. Mm-hmm. Everything just turned into like slutty or sexy, whatever it was. <laughs> male, male, woman, Girl Scout. You know, you there were never just like regular costumes. Everything had to be like slutty or sexy or whatever. And so, Facebook. Those, it, there was a lot of Facebook creeping going on around <laughs> Halloween back in the day.
5: That. Matt, you took a conversation right out of my mouth I had with one of my classmates earlier. It's, uh, it's Instagram nowadays. It's not Facebook. Right. But just as you said, spring, spring break and Halloween all the time. Ted, do you have any experience in that? No. Think social media popping off on those dates?
0: I missed up. You mean currently when I'm scanning through my Instagram and Facebooks or or in the past?
5: I'm not. You know what I've actually been thinking about doing lately. I'm very curious as to who you follow on Instagram. I've been meaning to go through and see who you're following. I feel like we might find some, some like Instagram models on there.
0: Well, I'll tell you what. I almost followed those those, those chicks that flashed at the it. game. I, I almost did. <laughs>
5: <laughs> I knew that was coming. Well, that was an automatic follow for me.
0: <laughs> you can also subscribe to their uh, their magazine, but it, it costs money. So I, I bailed out of that. Why
4: would you need to subscribe to their magazine when you follow them on Instagram? You can see basically everything you need to right there.
0: Are you on there too, Matt?
4: I, I don't follow them, but I've definitely uh, perused pages.
0: <laughs> We're all males here. <laughs> Banned from baseball for life.
4: Yep.
0: Unbelievable. Yeah,
4: now now the, the Facebook, now that you know, my friends are older, I mean, I have a kid too and stuff, Facebook, for me, has transitioned to either, like, grandparents or now people just posting pictures of their kids. Right. Like, man, it was so much better 16 years ago.
0: <laughs> yeah, I would agree with you. And I'm, I'm in that boat, you know. I just post family pictures of my grandkids and family stuff. And, you know, I, I get sick of a lot of the pol- political stuff that's on there. But, uh, yeah, it would have been kind of cool to be a part of the original Facebook generation.
5: I I, I just checked, I did a little bit of research
0: Did you look it up? I don't even know who I follow
5: No, I, yeah It's It looks like the worst Instagram account I've ever (laughs) seen that It's all of his family members and then the two people he follows That aren't, Three Stooges Account, (laughs) fan account And Howard Stern fan account
0: (laughs) Is it it David Spade on there? I thought I had
5: David Spade Yep, you're correct, David Spade was also on
0: there (laughs) I've been a little lazy on the Instagram Follows, I'll be honest (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> There's some good ones though. <laughs> well, let's get off this topic unless you got more on Halloween, Jared. Nope,
5: I'm good. Best, third, well, third best holiday of the year. Any any disagreements there
4: behind Christmas and Thanksgiving? Mm. I mean I'm I'm a big fan of fourth of July, just Me too. It's summer. Yeah, um, Yeah. But yeah, those top three, that that's probably pretty good.
0: Yeah, I won't argue with it. I mean I'm I, I don't do a whole heck of a lot with Halloween, but I enjoy seeing some of the outfits, so uh yeah, why not?
5: <laughs> if, if you want it to be better like like me and Matt of like Matt first and then I second end get on Facebook get on that Instagram it's it's your it'll become your third favorite holiday real quick
0: I mean I may need a little training from you young bucks on the best way to navigate. <laughs> All right. Now, Jared, I know uh, and we're going to be talking with Ryan Terpstra about uh, the Michigan game for sure. But I want to get some of your thoughts being down at the big house, covering it for uh, Fox 17 out of Grand Rapids. uh, The first thing we got to ask is, uh, did you come prepared for the rain?
5: I thought I did. I had two sets of gloves, a winter hat. The thing that ended up being my downfall was that I was wearing jeans. Mm. And what I noticed was I was standing in the same spot. Uh, shooting for the majority of the game in one end zone. And then at halftime, when I started walking, it felt like I gained about 45 pounds for how wet I was and just how drenched my jeans were. It, I'm lucky that it was only about 50 degrees, or that it was that it was 50 degrees outside, because if it was 30 or even lower than that, and it was freezing rain, it would have been the worst four hours of my
1: life.
0: <laughs>
5: so, but I was lucky that it was warm enough where I wasn't completely dying on the field. Especially, and it made it—it it definitely made it nicer, knowing that Michigan was just kicking Notre Dame's ass. That also made it a lot better
0: too. You know, yeah. and If you're going to be going covering some more games now that we're heading into November, you better invest into a a nice insulated rain suit. Either you invest or have have mom buy you one.
5: Yeah, that, I think the latter is uh the route I'm going to try to take. <laughs>
0: uh, I'm
5: a cheapo when it comes to that stuff. So no, I don't I'm going blame to you. Ask my mom; can uh, buy
4: that for me. Mama's boy.
0: Now, Matt, when you were out there uh, shooting film, you know, did you run into that yourself and had to learn the hard way?
4: Not, I, I don't not necessarily learn the hard way, but I, I probably had a couple of those situations where I wasn't dressed warm enough. The ones that always stand out to me was in the winter when we would have to stand out in those snowstorms, like in West Michigan, right? And do our like live hits and stuff while we're telling people to stay inside. We're the ones out there standing in the snow. Like Jared, I don't know if you experienced this on last Saturday. Like to the point where your fingers and hands are so cold you can barely like operate the camera. You're trying to like yes. push buttons on the camera or something, and your hands are just frozen. You're wet. You're cold. Yeah, it's not the most enjoyable. But like you said, at least Michigan was winning. That it would have sucked if they were if it was the other way around and they were losing by thirty. Yeah. Some so one thing that did
5: happen, which it, like like I've said before on this show, sometimes I feel. Like, I'm I'm on a hidden camera show or something. I don't know if you guys saw. I'm sure you did. You were watching the game. When the Notre Dame player scored the touchdown and a towel bolted him on the helmet. So, as you know, I was down on the field and they were raining those towels down all night. Middle of one of the plays in the third quarter, a towel comes flying from the student section and pulsed me on the back of the shoulder. And I don't know if you guys saw, but the way it was pretty – like these kids should be astronauts. They, they would take the towels and tie them up into balls, and they were just soaked in water. So these things – it was basically like getting hit with a baseball from about 30 feet in the – and you could just know that that kid who threw that – in that student section, him and his buddies are just <laughs> dying laughing at me. And I wouldn't give him the satisfaction of turning around. I said I'm not turning around because that's just gonna make that's gonna make me look like an idiot. Everyone's gonna be <laughs> laughing. I don't wanna see it.
0: Good move by you. But that
5: was the one downfall of the Michigan Notre Dame game was getting pelted by one of those towels.
0: Yeah, I couldn't I couldn't tell that's what they were doing. So they were rolling him up in a, a, t- a towel snowball basically, huh? Yes. <laughs> not good. Dow did you were you able to catch why they threw it on that touchdown because of the missed pass interference?
5: They were throwing them all night. There was a there was a miscall earlier in the game where they started showering garbage on the field. Right, and then just from that point on, it just kind of kept going. So that was definitely the pass interference was definitely one of the main factors as to why. Although I, 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 knowing me and just kind of a drunk college kid, the motivating factors behind that kid throwing that towel was probably they saw some idiot standing on the sideline or standing down the field, and they said, "I'm going to pelt this guy with a towel." Is probably really what their motivation was.
0: <laughs> well we're going to get into the game in some detail with ryan and and the wolverines in general but you know our listeners do like to hear some of the inside stuff so you went down there with a camera uh you know walk us briefly through you know your duties there obviously you're on the field filming uh, did you do any press conference stuff did you do, find anything interesting
5: the first thing that jumped off jumped off the field to me was right as i walked on the field you look at notre dame and man those helmets just pop Mm -hmm. they're they are just the best helmets in all college football and and i like to think that if corona had money those are the helmets that corona would have if we had more money um but just i was blown away by just the shininess and just how awesome their uniforms were um then you know the game happened and just it was one of those games where when it's going on you really can't believe what you're watching it wasn't until i was driving home where it kind of clicked like wow we just blitzed Notre Dame. Like, that's pretty cool to, to have been there for that, especially when you find out that they're not, they're not going to play again for another 14 years. Kind of makes one of those games, oh, that was pretty cool to be in attendance for. But at the post-game presser with Jim Harbaugh, he had this comment, and I'm, I'll be interested to hear what you guys have to say about this. He had this comment. He said, so people kind of asked him the same question three or four times where he gave the same answer, we are wired on defense is what he said. Mm-hmm. At the very end of the press conference, it was all over, he stands up, he takes a few steps, then he retraces his steps, goes, leans over onto the microphone and says, you know, guys, good questions get good answers. And this just wasn't that great of questions. And then he <laughs> walks off. And everyone just kind of looks at each other. Like, what? did he really just say that? And you know how the media room is. wow it's Everyone's kind of got their nose stuck up in the air. It was – I, I kind of laughed. That's classic Harbaugh. I love – that's my favorite Harbaugh is when he's acting that
0: way. Yeah, that's kind of a Bo moment, you know. Bo was kind of that way a little bit too, but I think that was even more clever. So he came right back to the microphone and ended with that comment. Yeah. that's Yeah, we,
4: me and my buddies, we were watching that. That was airing on Big Ten Network after the game. Right. And we watched that, and that's what we – like at first we, we saw we heard that, but we, you know, rewound it and listened to it again, and – uh yeah, we were like, was he pissed? You know, he was laughing and smiling, so maybe he was just annoyed. But, you know, we were like, well, at least he didn't call the reporter a dumbass.
0: <laughs> that's true.
4: <laughs> yeah, that's, and then just, and it, you never really get any good sound bites out of Harbaugh, and people can
5: say, oh, that's because Harbaugh is the way he is. kind of like Bill Belichick. But I guess part of it is also kind of on the media members where you just got to ask – we got to ask better questions, you know?
0: You know, that's a good point, Jared, and, you know, we're still waiting for that – pivotal moment when you ask your question. I that was coming. You know, of course it's coming. Now, let me ask you this. You, you you, you sit at these news conferences or these press conferences, and you hear the same old mundane questions. I know we talked about the Spartan press conference a, a couple weeks ago. Think about it. What what do you think would be a good question to come from you, a young buck, 21 years old, you know, starting your career in broadcasting, maybe you make a little splash, do something a little different. What, what kind of question do you think you would ask well
5: that's the, the thing is with and Matt's probably seen these as well when you have the tripod in the back of the room and you're in the very back you're basically the last person that gets called on mm-hmm. in these I've never seen one of these people actually that's in the back of the tripod get called on for a question it, this the Michigan they have their in you know the Bob Wojnowski's the John Bacon's they each get two questions a piece and it's you know a few a few of the other guys who are there every single week and I don't have a problem with that I mean they've obviously earned that but it just makes asking a question a little bit harder than I think people think, especially when there's about sixty people in this room trying to get a question
0: off. Mm-hmm. How many so, cringeworthy questions from maybe people that are just covering that game? I mean, have you have you heard any real dumb ones?
5: Somebody asked the the lineman from Michigan, um, "What did, did the the overturned blocked punt the first drive of the game?" Did that change your guys' opinion? And none of them even remembered that play. And that's one of those things. Like, it's not that bad of a question. Right. But their response kind of made the guy who
4: asked it look like an idiot.
0: Yeah. Yeah, it's a hot seat you're in. There's no doubt about it.
4: It is. Especially because sometimes, like you said, there's those veteran guys, if you want to say like that. Beat guys. You know, like, yeah, for you, Jared, you're not sitting in the front row or whatever. You'd have to, like, basically just start yelling your question and not stop. 'Cause that's what happens sometimes, yeah. like you start answering a question and if someone else starts speaking up yep. and you stop, well you just lost your chance. So it's almost like you just gotta keep going. Yeah. Hope that hope that Harbaugh hears and doesn't laugh it off, call you a dumbass.
0: Yeah, and it'll happen down the road. Maybe maybe when you evolve to not having to film it from the back row, you know? I right, you have my
4: promise. I am going to ask him a question. Or him or D'Antonio a question at some point this year. Awesome. I know some All people right, we'll say I mean, like if you know, if they were doing the one-man band thing, like what you've been doing, where you're doing the camera and you're kind of like the reporter, set your camera up, you know, make sure it's a recording, make sure you're getting levels on audio, and then go try and find a seat yeah. in with the rest of the reporters. That way, you're not in that back row. But, like, the, yeah. the bad thing with that would be, like, by the time you get a chance to ask a question, like, all of a sudden, your camera stopped recording or something like <laughs> that. Like <laughs> that'd be the bad luck, but...
0: Well, you got a few weeks to get it done, young man, and we want to definitely be able to play it here on Three Point Podcast. So that'll be a promise too, right? It's, it's a promise. All right, it's a promise.
4: So I, I was back home and I watched uh, the Michigan game with some buddies, and I got I got hooked up from our friends at Rivals and got a huge spread for. I told my buddies I was like, "Don't buy food. I'm gonna go to Rivals and get a bunch of stuff."
0: <laughs> and
4: I'm telling you what, and this isn't just saying this because they're you know. They, you know, they're partners with us for this podcast. They've got some good food, man. They that was oh, yeah. they they uh the wings, the breadsticks. They don't have those pizza pucks anymore. That's the one thing. Oh, they I got was, rid of those. Yeah, I was a little disappointed in, but right. And everything else, they got good food.
0: So you must have been a hero to your buddies because you had a stack of cards.
4: Oh yeah, I didn't even use it all. <laughs> I, I mean, I, I was going to try and use them all, but it would have just it would have been a waste, to be honest. But yeah, I told them I was like, I'm gonna I'll bring a spread, and I did. Awesome. That's awesome. You're the king of the party when you do yeah, that. It was, it was good
0: stuff. Well, we'll get Ryan Terpstra on here with us here coming up, but uh, just remember, the thecoronaconnection.com knows it's great to be gold. Keep up to date on Cavalier Nation at coronaconnection.com, an advanced elevator company. They feature top expert field technicians for installation, troubleshooting, and repair of elevators, an area business leader and longtime supporter of the Corona Public Schools and a proud partner of Three Point Podcast. This week, Advanced Elevator salutes the Cavalier volleyball team looking good and looking for another deep tournament run.
4: All right, we're bringing back one of our friends. He's a a fellow Michigan fan, and he's kind of, if we want to call him, our Michigan insider when we talk about the Wolverines. You can follow him on Twitter, at Terp himself. His name is Ryan Terpstra. You've heard him before on the podcast. But I want to start off with this, Ryan. We've talked about it before when when we had you on. You and I, uh, what, now six, seven years ago, we were at that – Tate-4CA Michigan game versus Notre Dame, probably his peak as a Wolverine. We were on the field covering it for Fox 17. Jared, the, the young guy on our trio, he's working for Fox 17, too. He was at the Notre Dame game this past weekend getting drenched in the rain, and he, he mentioned a few minutes ago that he maybe wasn't prepared. Any kind of advice that you would have for the young guy, things that you've learned uh, in your time covering uh, Michigan football or everything else? <laughs> yeah, because – I mean, I
2: probably covered my first Michigan game back in 2005, which makes me feel ancient uh, compared to Jared's standards, probably. But uh, I would say whatever you do, cover the camera, because your uh, news director does not care how you feel. They care about your expensive equipment. So (laughs) that would be my number one thing to uh, advise somebody that's uh, down there covering the game for television.
4: that's funny He said his camera actually stopped working at halftime yeah
2: no
5: (laughs) yeah it's funny you say that uh it's not a good
4: phone call to have to make no hopefully they were able to at least fix it or figure it out let it dry out but but yeah I, i had to ask what you what you thought about that but yeah speaking of the game we gave a few thoughts on you know what we saw but you know a few weeks ago harbaugh he came out after the iowa game and I guess if you want to call it controversial, he said that he felt like the offense was finally hitting its stride. That obviously made headlines everywhere. But really since then, especially since the second half of the Penn State game, this offense has looked really good even in that rain at the Big House against Notre Dame. Uh, What have you seen change offensively that has made Michigan look better, I guess?
2: Well, there's been a number of things. I think that when you have a rookie play caller like you have in Josh Gaddis you're always going to need some time to find your rhythm as a play caller. And that is, um, you know, knowing when to stick with trying to establish the run, having a feel for when to call a play action pass on first down, um, having some go-to plays for third down, but then realizing what the defense is trying to do to stop you and, and what can you run in terms of a variation off those plays. I think that's what Harbaugh is referencing is that, the offense is there. Like They have the skill players. They have the sets and the, the plays that they're going to run, but now it's got to come together. Uh, they have to play in flow. They have to make the right calls and, and decisions, and they're, they're still learning, but it's, it's gotten a lot, lot better versus what we saw earlier on in the season when it just frankly looked pretty clunky and Michigan was beating people because they just had more talent out there in the field. Now, we've seen very, very hard lessons being learned on the football field. The Wisconsin game was a total disaster. Uh, The first half against Penn State was not great because it led them to have to come back from such a deficit that they just ultimately could not overcome it in the second half. But what I think Harbaugh is seeing is that these guys are getting better at doing what he and Gattis are asking them to do, and then Gattis is getting better and I think this corresponded a little bit with his move down from the press box down to the, down to the field level when he's working with these guys, communicating with them, having a feel for the game, and then calling the plays. Because that is one thing while he uh, said in his interview process, and there's some people that would maybe say that he wasn't entirely forthcoming with the amount of responsibility he had at Alabama. Um, he, he wasn't calling plays there. And so no matter how much, how much he had his hands on the offense there, it's still something else to be in charge and like making that call every single time on every single down. And I think that's one thing that I've noticed Michigan improving in is that they are knowing when to go to certain players and in certain spots, and we saw that in against Notre Dame as they were able to mix things up. They would decide to stick with what was working, run variations off of it, and then later as the game opened up, they did not take their foot off the gas. They countered with some really good play calls, and uh, they just began running up the score, and I think that's what I was excited to see.
5: So you don't think that this is just a, a one-off where because of the rain and – I mean, we, we Shea Patterson only completed six passes. You don't think that this might just be a one-time thing, or you think this is for the rest of the year, this is the offense we're going to see?
2: I mean, if you put the second half of Penn State together with this, and I thought that they played pretty decently at Illinois as well. But, I mean – Illinois just beat Wisconsin, so maybe they're not as bad as we think they they are. Uh-huh. Then against Notre Dame, where actually I thought the offense was going to be extremely limited. Uh, if you if you looked at that game and prior to kickoff, you said, okay, now the team's going to be able to throw the ball much. Well, that's advantage of Notre Dame from what we've seen from Michigan. Uh, uh-huh. I think the ascension of Hassan Haskins has been a big Benefit because now they're not overtaxing Charbonnet and he's not wearing down at the end of games. And then also, I think the offensive line, where their concepts are getting better at executing their assignments and their blocks, and they did not have to throw the ball as much in certain cases. But I think they're realizing what they have and what works. And so going up top to Nico Collins needs to happen more often, in my opinion. But at least they figured out that that is something that is extremely effective. And then. Um, Notre Dame countered by doubling Collins, and knowing that they were doubling Collins, Harbaugh I think said that in the press conference uh, this week, he said that left them open to other things in the offense and therefore they were able to take advantage of it and execute. And, and I'm not so sure that they were doing that early in the year. I don't know if it was us yeah, not recognizing what defenses were doing. I don't know if it's them having longer in the film room to see how teams are approaching them. I don't know what it is but there's something about this uh, performance not against, say, like an Indiana or a, you know, a Middle Tennessee State that makes me think that these are legitimate defenses that they've faced now for six quarters, and the team has looked much, much better. And so, yeah, moving forward, in advance of a game against Michigan State that will pose some defensive problems for them, um, not so much maybe offensively, but they will pose defensive problems. And then, of course, Ohio State, which is the, ultimate, is the top team in the country the number one game on your season to be able to play them. I think I like where this offensive direction is heading.
0: Yeah, you know, the offense is playing good right now, and that's where we've had some concerns. But to help that offense, I mean, you you got to send some big kudos out to Dr. Blitz and the, the package he came up with because Notre Dame had no clue where they were coming from next.
2: That is so true, guys, because Don Brown – was frustrating us. I know it's really hard to play against Army because of what they do, and you, you say kind of throw those kind of games out. But especially against Wisconsin, i like, oh, man, right. is, are we really going to have it shoved down our throat this entire year? Because I think I mentioned early in the year when we talked a couple months ago, I said, you know, they, they lost so much talent off of the defensive side of the football. This is going to have to be an offensive-oriented team. Well, once again, we're seeing no, Michigan is winning off of the strength of their defense. And guys are just popping up out of nowhere to give extremely um, un, un, unexpected performances. Guys like Quiddy Pay, Cam McGrone, these guys at Glasgow playing, I think, above a level people were taught. Here comes Dax Hill the last three games, really showing up as a freshman and making some plays. These are guys that are um, outsigning some of the players that we thought returning were going to be the key uh, contributors, like I, I thought LeVert Hill would one of the top people in the defensive backfield, but I, I feel like he's having more of an average season. But, but these guys are just playing really, really well. And then Don Brown deserves a ton of credit for what he's been able to do. Uh, he still has to prove it against Ohio State, which took his defense apart last year. Uh, but you're starting to see them – run variations of their defense, and confusing people. And that's allowing the blitzes to get home. And I think it was uh, Nick Baumgardner, who now writes for The Athletic, had a post on Twitter today that I saw, and he posted a clip where Brown's blitz came and then Hill came up and filled on the tight end. Now that's a crossing route that had been devastating Michigan for a long time, really the last two years, in Brown's defense because when Michigan gets caught in man-to-man, teams are countering by sending crossing routes with tight ends or wide receivers across the middle of the field, trying to get linebackers or safeties cut off and caught up in the wash, and it's free it was freeing people, and that's how Ohio State really burned Michigan last year. But in this case, Hill, who was playing the left side of the field, did not go with the man. In fact he came up and filled in kind of like a zone blitz type of scheme. And that's not something that teams are expecting to see from Dom Brown. And when you were going out there and really laying the wood defensively on Brian Kelly That says something to me, and I think that Don Brown uh, definitely deserves a huge amount of credit for how this defensive has has played, uh, even losing the talent that they did to the NFL uh, this past year.
4: Yeah, it's definitely something that I, you know, it's a a difference maker that you can see on the field, just some of the athletes that they have. Now, obviously, they've put a bunch of guys in the NFL so I'm not knocking any of those guys like Winovich and Bush and those guys. But when you see the speed that Cam McGrone has, and then especially Dax Hill, I know he's a true freshman coming in, but I was to the point, like, against Penn State with K.J. Hamler, I was like, you just need to put your best athlete out there. Put Dax Hill on him, man up, I don't care. Don't let him keep burning the safeties. And it seems like that's one thing a lot of people were saying Don Brown wasn't adjusting very much, especially against Ohio State last year when they were just it was a track meet against Michigan's defense it seems like they are starting to make some adjustments with some of these athletes they have and yeah like you said that's a testament to Don Brown because what do you think if they're actually going to compete with Ohio State they can't just keep doing the same thing over and over right
2: well we just watched what Ohio State did to Wisconsin (laughs) that Wisconsin defense seemed to be doing just fine against everybody else this year so you you have to figure out where your wrinkles are going to be. Sometimes you'll be in man, sometimes you'll be in zone, sometimes you'll do a little bit of a hybrid. You've got to find out where you can apply pressure. Uh, Wisconsin did get home on guilt, but it's going to be something where Michigan might have to spy him occasionally. Uh, It's exciting. I mean, there's always attention paid to, like, oh, who are the young skill guys? Like McCaffrey, DeSantis, that was so cool. Those guys, you know, could have huge years coming up maybe next season. A lot of that is paid to offense, um, you know, young guys like Charbonnet or Haskins. But how about some of these young guys coming out of nowhere? I mean, McGrone is exciting. That looks like the next Devin Bush right there. And it took an injury for that to happen. And Michigan wasn't quite sure if he was ready, and he came out of his prime. He's not only ready, he's an impact player. And Dax Hill, yeah, it took him a little while to get his head on straight. I mean, he's an 18-, 19-year-old kid. But now he's showing great instincts, and he is
1: clearly
2: more athletic than anyone else who plays that position. And Quiddy Pay coming out, looking very, very strong, playing well. They say they're getting some of those freshman defensive linemen in there. I think that you can only help that defensive line, which was certainly a weakness to start earlier this year. That's exciting. I mean, these are guys that are out there making plays. And whatever Michigan decides to do with them – They're going to have to mix things up, but you need playmakers like that. You have to have guys that can make plays if you're going to hang with Ohio State. And I think that's the other bright spot for Michigan is that we're seeing guys that are coming into their own. and that's the last game of the season, regular season for Michigan, and that's when you're going to need these guys to be playing their best, and they're having opportunities right now to learn on the field and get ready for that opportunity.
0: You know, we're going to be hearing a lot more about uh, it's been 50 years since Bo beat Ohio State and shocked the world. The best team maybe in college football history they were talking about back then. And, you know, I know we'll hear more about it if the Wolverines keep rolling. Uh, Very similar seasons at this point of, of the season, you know, heading towards that finale against Ohio State now. I just, I just wanted to set the stage with that, but here's my question. Uh, I think three of us, Terp, Matt, and myself, are, are getting high again on Michigan. The question is this time for Jared. Jared, are you turning the corner a little bit on this Wolverines team, or you still got to see more from them?
5: To be 100% honest, when I was driving home from that game, I was thinking like Rose Bowl. How how in the world can we find a way to get to the Rose Bowl? I, but I don't know. I mean, I guess Terp, he's obviously a lot smarter than I am when it comes to this stuff. Do you think we honestly have a chance against Ohio State? Because me watching them against Wisconsin on Saturday, it's like I do not we might not stay within 20 or 30 points of these guys. I don't think that Michigan has a
2: chance if Shea Patterson doesn't get better because you have to score points to beat Ohio State. I don't think that Michigan can beat Ohio State 20-17. to 17. I mean, unless they get another monsoon to try and – Uh, basically Mm -hmm. limit the offenses to only being able to run the football. I mean, Shea Patterson is going to be the key. Because you saw what happened to Wisconsin. Ohio State says, we're not going to let Taylor beat us. We're going to absolutely load up against him, and then we're going to come after Cohn, and if he can't beat us, if he can't make plays, then we're going to win. Because eventually your defense is going to give up points. Ohio State will score. So you have to be able to trade punches with them, and then Make plays, create a turnover, fields can make mistakes. There were times when Wisconsin made that Ohio State offense look very mortal. But eventually, if you're not scoring points and your defense is always out on the field, you can't keep up with them. So you have to be able to sustain drives, and you also have to be able to finish drives and score points. So it's all going to come down to Patterson. It looks like Michigan's running the football good right now. Michigan has the receivers to go up against that Ohio State defensive backfield. Quarterback's got to be able to make plays. And that's one thing that I did like to see from this Notre Dame game is I have been so frustrated with Patterson and his reluctance to keep the football his right. RPO uh, reads. And it felt like so often he was just sending his running back into nine extra guys while no one stood on you know either edge. And he refused to keep the ball and use his legs as a weapon to keep the defense honest. And he really did that much, much better against Penn State and then against Notre Dame. And I felt that opened things up so much more for Haskins and Charbonnet. And then occasionally, you know, you're not going to win every single rep. I mean, he was going to get tackled for a loss in a couple of different instances. But it just helps the offense so tremendously. He has to get better at that. He has to be a threat against OSU. If he can play better, if he can play like he did in the second half of that Penn State game where we saw a gutty, smart, and and confident performance, where Shea really struggles is when he gets happy feet in the pocket and he just starts throwing right away to his first read or he tries to bail out and not go through his progressions, he's going to have to have confidence to stand in there. and With the line playing better and the running game playing better, that helps your quarterback Feel safer back there and have more confidence in his decision making, and I think that is the key for Michigan. You if got Patterson can play well in that big game. Michigan then does stand a chance,
0: and you got to believe if they run the table from this point heading into that finale, he's going to have the confidence, the team's going to have the confidence, and you know I I think it sets up for a heck of a game. I don't I know we're not going to see a game like last year. You know, I think the Wolverines can do it, and you're right. Patterson's got to play a good game, and they all do though. But uh, if they if they run the table leading up to that game, man, that is going to be unbelievable.
2: It, it will be quite the showdown, and, and it's scary because we saw what happened last year. And I, I honestly, guys, I think they're <laughs> better. I yeah. think they're better than they were last year.
0: But you're at home I know,
2: and there is no doubt how that Harbaugh and Michigan plays so much better at home than they do on the road. So they do have that going for them, and uh, I just think that if you are able to, like you said, run the table, get confidence, I think that if they put a beating on Michigan State, because right now the Spartans look a little broken, that will give Michigan a lot of swagger heading into that game and I'm starting to see Harbaugh act like Harbaugh a little bit more. Yeah. You know, sending letters saying rumors of him leading are loads of crap, you know, laughing about Spagnalis, shoving that guy into the <laughs> third row of the band you know, finishing his block against Notre Dame, um, you know, kind of running up the score and saying, hey, Irish, sit on this for 14 years. He did, too. And they didn't back down at all. That is the Harbaugh that Michigan hired.
4: We bring you on here to mostly talk Michigan football, but you you mentioned the Spartans kind of struggling right now. I'm curious what your thoughts are on the Spartans, kind of where they're at. We've talked about it on the podcast before, and and Ted uh, has said that he feels like this is, D'Antonio's last year, just kind of the writing is on the wall with everything that's going on. What do you, what do you think about the Spartans right now, and could you see this being D'Antonio's last year? I, I can't.
2: And uh, it's, I mean, I'm not a Michigan State fan, but I, I still think it's sad because from what Mark did for that program, he absolutely does not deserve to be forced out or told he has to retire or it, it does not, it should not, I should say, end mess he's one of the most successful coaches ever, no matter how long, you know, no matter what, in regards to the program. But Mark has been his own undoing. He refused to um, accept that uh, the offensive staff was not up to a championship Big Ten level. uh, And then, unfortunately, recruiting has not panned out the way that it did a number of years ago. And so the talent discrepancy is there. And uh, I see a team right now that doesn't have any confidence in its leadership. They don't have confidence in the play calls. They don't have confidence in the game plan. And they don't have confidence in each other either. And, uh, I mean, there's weaknesses. I mean, their offensive line is not good. Uh, they lack uh, a skill position player that strikes fear into anybody's heart. And eventually that defense just can't hang on forever. And when you have a, a program like that, they're moving backwards. And they're not moving forward. And if Mark is not willing to make the adjustments to move forward, then you have to say that we need a new direction. And he hasn't been willing to make those adjustments. He, he's had three years now where I think that there should have been something made to like right the ship and keep the upward trajectory that, that he made to continue to happen, but he won't do it. And I'm not sure what's going to happen, though, guys, because I don't think that Beekman, the athletic director, has the stones to fire Mark D'Antonio.
0: No, I think we're all in agreement that if he goes, it's on his own terms. My whole point was, you know, I think he's going to go out on his own terms. I mean, I just think he's he's had enough, and it's been a lot of pressure. He has had health problems, uh, and 13 years is a long time.
2: It is a long time, but four point five million dollars next January is a lot of money.
0: Well, I don't think he'll walk away from all that. I think the, I think there'll be some kind of deal going on because uh, Beekman, really, Izzo and D'Antonio got him hired, didn't didn't they?
2: Yeah, I mean he is just a figurehead. Right. Those two are still running the athletic department.
0: So yeah, D'Antonio's not going to leave all that money on the table. There might be some negotiations they have to have. And again, I could, I hope I'm wrong. I'd like to see him stay. I'd like to see him maybe right the ship because he's a heck of a coach.
2: But here's the problem. Who takes over for him? Right. Mark D'Antonio is absolutely a successor guy, right? Like right. I want my man to take over in my place and continue my legacy. There is no Ryan Day on this staff. There's no successor. They need to blow the whole thing up. So, like, how is that going to play out? And I, I'm worried that D'Antonio, thinking that he, he, the program wouldn't be, you know, left in the hands that he wants it to be left in because he's strikes me as that type of person will then refuse to retire until he feels like he can hand it off to whoever he wants to hand it off to. I don't think he wants to leave and let them just hire an entirely new staff and watch his golfing buddies have to search for, you know, jobs elsewhere.
0: How about a fellow Italian and not the guy at Pitt, but how about Tony Anise?
2: Oh, yeah. <laughs> I, uh, I have for years, and I say this just knowing Tony since he coached at Muskegon High School, and being friendly with him. I have for years said that Tony deserves a job and deserves an interview somewhere. There's some folks that say there are things that are going to preclude him from that. Hmm. I don't know anything about that. He deserves a uh, chance to go out and prove himself, but he's not going to get that chance at Michigan State. And he, it, it, that is a situation where he can take his successful coaching track record Somewhere at the next level, as we've seen Chuck Martin go to the Mac, and then Brian Kelly, you know, had to go to Central before he, you know, then moved his Cincinnati. way along to Notre Dame. So these are guys that that's the next step for them. And while Anise would have been the guy in the offseason to fire your offensive coordinator and bring Tony Anise in to run your offense. There you go. That was the play. But D'Antonio wouldn't do it. And, uh, and... You know, if you if you won't make those kinds of plays, even though, well, he's not my guy, or I don't know if our philosophies will match. You know, it boils down to winning, and the Michigan State fan base, at unfortunately, is going to have to look at itself in the mirror and say, what's more important? Is it the good memories that we have with Antonio, or do we want to win again? Because right now, you're not on the you're not on the path to having both, and uh, so I think that yeah, Narduzzi could be. Uh, someone, if they work back channels, he would certainly come back and take over for D'Antonio. And he's doing well at Pitt. But, uh, yeah, I, I, I think that it's going to have to come from inside the family for them to get to
4: get Mark to agree to step aside. Again, I switching gears a little bit, I know we bring you on to talk Michigan, but I had to ask you about the Lions. So the trade deadline passes, and the Lions, you know, we're talking about shopping, Darius Slay. Uh, they were even talking about possibly getting Melvin Gordon, even maybe Jamal Adams or Le'Veon Bell from the Jets. They didn't end up doing anything really and kind of stood pat, I guess, if you want to say, with the roster. A lot of people the last few weeks have been saying the Lions should be a favorite in the division, but, you know, we've they've lost some disappointing games. What do you see with the Lions? Stafford's playing maybe the best of his career. The defense, you know, there's some injuries. Do you think the Lions, it is the same old Lions, or do you think we might actually see a run at the playoffs? I, I hate answering this question <laughs> because I
2: have to take my fandom and then I have to take reality. And uh, usually when it comes to the Lions, they never align. Um, but In this case, I think that what is, is nice about them is that they have remaining parts of their schedule where I think they have winnable games. And you're right, Stafford is absolutely playing lights out. I I can't believe that Bevel has actually opened up the offense, and I think it's a huge improvement for Stafford versus Zimbabwe Cooter. Um, If the Lions continue to have injuries, they're just not going to be able to continue to compete. I'm glad they didn't make some of those trades. I mean, I'm not one to say let's move on from On Johnson and pay a guy like Bell or Gordon an exorbitant amount of money. I understand why they listened on Slay after you saw what the Jaguars got for Ramsey. And you're like, look, we can get that. We have to, we have to think about it. But I I think they really can um, make a run. You know, they still have to play Chicago twice, but Chicago looks like they're a mess. Uh, They get Green Bay one more time, but they get Green Bay at home. Um, They're going to have to do something about Minnesota because it's going to be tough to get two people out of this division. Um, with how the NFC is looking right now but uh, they still get to play Washington and so they have some winnable games coming up and uh, I think that I believe that they still have an outside shot here. Now the loss the losses they've taken have been brutal <laughs> because you've had to swallow things like officiating along with mm. them um, but the team has looked so much more improved this year and um, they they, they haven't won a game really where we thought oh they have a, there's no chance for them to do that and and they've done that under Patricia last year when they smoked New England so I'm still thinking there's a game out there like that New Orleans game or something like that where I think they're going to go out and beat somebody that they're uh, they're not supposed to beat you know um, so I, I just I I'm still looking forward to what we can see uh, coming from them and I, I do think they have an outside shot but. They they don't have any more room for mistakes, guys, and especially in these divisional games coming up. Those are absolutely absolutely key for this team uh, to, because they need to try and you know get to a point where they can win the division and get themselves into the playoffs.
0: You know, Ryan, I know you're a former Fox 17 guy, and they probably hooked you up with a full rain suit. Jared's only earned himself a sweatshirt right at the moment, but but what do you got? What do you got going on? Uh, blatant plug time.
2: Yeah, uh, well. I mean, I got lucky. Matt mentioned the Notre Dame game. We went through that 4 C A game. I think it was in bright sunshine. It was incredible. Next year, I went uh, down to Notre Dame, saw Denard Robinson lead a comeback, and and that was great weather, too. And then I was remembering I did the first under-the-lights game, and Roundtree landed next to me while I was (laughs) filming. Uh, And I put that uh, video back up on my Twitter to celebrate this week, so I've seen some incredible stuff uh, on the field. And then I got to avoid one of the worst weather games that people have probably ever had to work. Man, I got to watch that up from the comfort of my own home. So
4: I guess, uh, you
2: know, the best advice, Jared, is just come over-prepared,
4: and then maybe yeah. you
2: won't need it. Um, but for me, uh, when it comes to, like, talking Michigan football and doing that kind of thing, best place to find me is at, uh, on Twitter, at Terp himself, um, you know, formerly radio, former radio guy, former TV guy, but always spouting uh, sometimes stupid, but mildly entertaining opinion. So that's where you can find me, on social media. Always open and talking Michigan football. Lions might see me uh, melting down uh, against Ohio State <laughs> if hmm. things aren't going well. But, uh, yeah, that's the best place to find me, guys. Or on the 3 Point Podcast. Amen. there as well, occasionally.
0: Well, we'll check in with you either around Ohio State time or maybe a preview of the Rose Bowl that the Wolverines go to. How's that sound? <laughs>
2: Well, if it's a preview of the Rose Bowl, you can certainly call me. Around Ohio State time. I might be too nervous.
0: <laughs> I'd be happy to accept a call. All right, Ryan. Hey, we really appreciate it. Hey, you looking for some fun? Stop into Rivals Tap House and Grill, the official sports bar of Three Point Podcast. Weekends are really hot as you can cheer on the Spartans, Wolverines, and Lions. And don't forget the first of the month party coming up Friday, November 1st. Five buck burgers and chicken sandwich baskets. Bottled beer for a dollar. Awesome food and drink rivals Tap House and Grill in Corona. And we all like a great deal, right? Well, go online at SheridanAuctionService.com for info on upcoming auctions. The auction house is jam-packed with all kinds of great items. Stay up to date by checking their website at SheridanAuctionService.com and sign up for email notifications or call Troy Crow at 989-720-SELL for other details. All right, guys, I just got a few random sports topics. I wrote some notes down, and, you know, we're recording this on Tuesday. The big story today was the NCAA voted to allow college athletes to profit from their name, image, and licenses, and I saw a lot of Twitter activity today in reference to that, especially EA Sports. What do you guys think of this?
4: Well, first off, I know Jared will want to get in on the EA Sports thing. That was, mm-hmm. the, I think that was the first thing that most people thought of was, ncaa football coming back but i mean that was was one of my favorite video games so i would love that too but i mean we've talked about it on the pod before i think this is just a long time coming obviously there's a lot of details to work out you know they've got to figure out how much you know what what they're going to allow i guess to happen but i think it's a good thing i mean it it was unfair that these guys couldn't make money or guys or girls couldn't make money off themselves so uh, i'm just glad it finally went through
5: the thing that i'm kinda of surprises that everyone's basically celebrating. And if we know the NCAA, it's it's that they can really mess things up. Hmm. So it's still it's still far from being completed and you just never know what they who knows they'll, they'll put a cap of five thousand dollars or something on players. You don't know what they're gonna do. It could be anything that's just dumb that ruins this entire thing. And as people complaining about it. Man.
0: Yeah, you bring up a good point because the NCAA pretty much screws up everything. I, I thought, man, they got uh, got some good pub out of this, finally coming through and making some sense. But we'll see when it's all laid out how they can mess it up, right?
4: Yeah, yeah I saw – I think it was – actually, I think it was a senator in North Carolina. Um, he said – he suggested, you know, if you're going to kind of, in a sense, count this, these scholarships and this money as income – then they need to pay tax on their scholarships and stuff like that and that i mean he he got blown up pretty much for that because that's just ridiculous to expect these kids to pay tax on a scholarship that they earned but like you guys said, the NCAA might end up doing something like that because they seem to screw most things up. Yeah, and,
0: I mean, if they if they put a cap on it, that's kind of defeating the whole purpose of capitalism and, and putting this in place in the first place. If, you know, if you're, uh, uh, let's say, Baker Mayfield at his prime, he's going to get a whole heck of a lot more money on his image and what he brings to the table than somebody at Appalachian State, right? I mean, it's just uh, supply and demand.
5: Yeah, exactly, and it, it's also funny how, like Matt said, the NCAA football coming back almost overshadowed the fact that players are now going to start getting paid. <laughs> it's just kind of funny how that happens. I'm really looking forward to seeing the the local commercials and the autograph signings for players like a Denard Robinson or something like that. I just want to see how they kind of handle that. I feel like there's going to be some there's going to be some speed bumps in these first couple of years before
4: players kind of really figure it out. <laughs> hey. but, I mean, that's kind of like what we said with with this. I mean, if if people want to kind of become entrepreneurs and put themselves out there with commercials or, you know, camps, swim camps, running camps and stuff like that, I mean, they, they should be allowed to. So that it could also be like a really exciting time for some of these kids, hold a golf camp or something like that and make a ton of money doing it. I mean, you know, you could really, I mean, I guess there's probably some bad stuff that could come along with it, but it seems like it's more good than bad.
0: Well, I think the thing, and I don't know who's going to control it, the the scary part, you've you've seen all these pro athletes that have hooked up with shady agents and, you know, their hangers-ons. I mean, with all this money that could be had, there's going to be a lot of corruption that goes with it, too.
4: Yeah, it seems like you always hear about those former athletes that, yeah, like basically what you just said, that have these bad investments and end up going bankrupt or something like that because someone took advantage of them. So, yeah, hopefully, whether it's the individual schools, the conference, or, yeah, the NCAA, they try and help the kids out or hopefully they have some advisors or something like that at their school so they're not getting taken advantage of.
0: Yeah, team up, you know. I mean, I, again, greed is the root of all evil, but if it, these universities make plenty of money, there's no reason why it can't be shared out there with the athletes that are making the money for these universities if they all work together. I mean, that could it could be a win-win. You know, it's definitely changing the face of college athletics as we've known it for a long time. But uh, if they can control it and get a handle on it, it might be kind of exciting to see a little change.
4: Yeah, and what's kind of funny is, like, thinking about, like Jared mentioned, the the commercials (laughs) or, like, on previous podcasts we've talked about, like, rules changes in the NFL or MLB or whatever. You know, when, like, something's new, when instant replay first comes into a game, you know, it's maybe a little annoying or we think it's going to really be that bad. But part of me kind of thinks maybe – Whatever, five eight years from now, seeing Michigan football players in their local car dealership commercials, it's probably like it'll probably just become part of it. Yeah, you know, like it'll just we'll will be used to seeing Shea Patterson selling cars or you know whatever it, it's gonna be.
0: Or back Jared Fattel, when he's playing quarterback, uh, representing at rivals in an autograph session. <laughs> Another quick one. Uh, I see Michigan State is retiring Draymond Green's jersey. Of course, one of Tom Izzo's favorite players of all time. I don't know what you guys think, but I am, I am not a fan of retiring jersey numbers. I'm okay with, you know, hanging the name up in the rafters or honoring them as part of the school's Hall of Fame. But I think this jersey retiring thing has gotten out of control.
5: You think that it, so? Basically, this sounds like you're almost—you don't think Draymond Green should have had his jersey retired?
0: No, I don't think anybody should have their jersey retired. I've, what I'm saying is, it's—it's it's all right to honor a guy, and and you know, put his name up in the rafters of, as one of the all-time greats. I have no issue with that. But you see, some of these schools—they've got so many jerseys retired, there's no numbers left.
4: <laughs> yeah, especially in college, when your rosters are, you know, so big. Yeah, if some of the good numbers get retired, then you know what do you do? Basketball players are going to end up being number 63. Or exactly.
0: Like <laughs> and it also it also bugs me a little bit, you know, in college football when you got starters on the field wearing the same number. I mean, I I, I glanced up at the TV the other night and I thought. Shea Patterson's going out there to kick the extra point, <laughs> you know? Two, Dear God. Two number twos. What are the What's what's up with that? <laughs> that
5: does bother me a little bit. I mean, but they, just have, they have so many players.
0: Well, oh, I know. Scholarship but
5: nowadays. You f- kind of have to have it that
0: way. I guess, but if you're in the playing group, you would think they wouldn't have multiple numbers, but that's just a thing. <laughs>
4: that's what's funny is there is so the kicker, Shea Patterson, and there's a Carlo Kemp, a starter on the defensive line, all number two. Yeah.
0: Bizar- so, bizarre. I mean, number
4: two, that's a popular one at Michigan for <laughs> – for good reason, but yeah, I'm all with it. I mean, retiring the jersey number, whatever, but you definitely hang a banner up for Draymond Green, yeah, Johnson, Mateen Cleaves, you know, whatever you want to do. But you don't need to retire the number, right? I'm fine with the retire. Would you
5: rather have them retire the number or do what Michigan did, which is where Devin Gardner's wearing number 98 for Tom Herman? How about we retire that number forever?
4: I I, I meant to at some point bring that up because I know you're you're a huge Brady Hoke fan, Jared, and that was kind yes. of like his thing—the whole legends. Numbers, the 98, the Tom Harmon, Desmond Howard, all these guys. So, what, well, you you weren't a fan of Devin Gardner rocking the 98? Yeah. The first opening
5: night when it was unveiled against Notre Dame, me as a 13-year-old, I'm not going to lie, that was awesome. But then when you just start racking up lose, losses and Devin Gardner's <laughs> throwing interception after interception, it's kind of loses its luster a little <laughs> bit. You start to realize how stupid that was.
0: Yeah. I had one more thought on, uh, since you brought it up, about Michigan and the numbers and whatnot. And I'm kind of a traditionalist, but I did always like the Mays uniforms, Michigan wore against Florida. Was it last year or the year before? I thought those were super, super sweet. And, and I liked the jerseys, the blue home jerseys that had the stripes on the shoulder. I know they had the M on the front. I could go without that. But the, the stripes on the shoulders Dear God. with that the helmet. The uniforms. I, Dear, I loved it. you talk
4: about the, that first under the lights game with Notre Dame. Those yes. Ones, like yeah. Kobe uniforms?
0: Yep. I really like those. Wow. You guys didn't. I'm
4: gonna, I'm, no. That's perfectly fine. Everyone has their taste. <laughs> Honestly, the, the All-Mays against Florida and the Bumblebees are probably like my two least favorite alternates that Michigan has done.
0: Okay. I, I thought you I liked like the, the All-Mays. The
5: Bumblebees are horrible. Those are probably the worst jerseys that have ever been worn in college football. And, Ted, you probably like it because they were modeled after the 1930
0: team or something like well, that. Well, maybe so. that is it. I am kind of a historical kind of guy also going by being old but that that's a whole nother story that's basically it one final one final story that came out of the blue this week at least to me you know we've in the world of golf we've all known about tiger woods and his problems and his chase for jack nicholas and the majors but it kind of sneaked up on me that i didn't realize that he was that close to having the pga tour record for wins and he tied sam sneed with 82 career victories that's pretty damn impressive
4: Oh, it's impressive, and I I saw a stat, I, I I could look it up, I didn't write it down, but I, I think the number was maybe since, it was like the last 10 years, 10 or 15 years or something like that, win percentage on the tour, mm-hmm. and, you know, you got to think about that long stretch that Tiger went through where didn't play he wasn't a lot. playing, wasn't winning, he was injured, and he's still, like, far and away by, like, 60 percentage points, the leader of, like, win percentage on the tour. Like, it's, you know, you forget about... I'll bring Kobe up. Like, the end of Kobe's career was a little rough. It kind of makes you forget how great he was his whole career. It's almost like that with Tiger. Like you said, it kind of snuck up on you. It, dude was dominating golf for, what, a better part of 12 years or something like that? Right.
0: Absolutely. That
4: was, that was Jared's guy. I mean, they, we've talked about oh, yes. before, but Tiger Woods' heyday, that's when you were a kid, right, Jared? Yes. And the thing with – it's funny
5: how it just shows you the Tiger effect where this no-name tournament, that I would have no ideas. Even I thought golf was like in the off season right now.
0: Zozo or out something, and, it
5: and now everyone starts watching it. Yeah, and it's just funny how he just he's just, he's so. Why is it that he's just everyone loves him? I don't know. He's just such an interesting guy. He's just kind of weird. He has his quirks, and it just makes so everyone just you can't not watch him when he's leading the pack.
0: Absolutely, I, I, ab, without a doubt, the most electrifying golfer ever. I think you can you can make that statement and be pretty safe. Right,
4: you know, you know, you always hear it that America loves the comeback story. So maybe there's part of that with Tiger Woods.
0: Well, that that segues into my final note. I had we haven't talked a lot of Pistons. You know, we are a Michigan-oriented podcast, and we don't get much into the Red Wings because none of us really played hockey. But you know, if they have a good product, we'll talk some Red Wing hockey right now. They've been struggling, but the the Pistons, I, uh, you know, I hadn't been watching Derrick Rose that closely the last couple of years. But you know what? That dude's pretty good. He still has it.
4: Yeah, no, again, I mean, I mentioned Tiger Woods, that being his prime during Jared's childhood. Right. I would say Derrick Rose was probably the same thing. Oh, but Jared, yeah. when when he was winning MVP and with the Bulls and stuff, that's probably when you were, like, peak childhood fandom in the NBA. He was, yeah. he was must-watch TV when he was in his prime, and then, you know, the knees and stuff fell apart. So seeing that he can still play, at the level that he is, is actually, like, pretty
0: impressive. Yeah, and I know, Jared, you brought it up uh, yeah. right when they signed him, but actually watching him play, boy, what a great pickup they got for him. When I
5: was when I was about 10, 11 in the year of Derrick Rose's MVP season, he had a commercial, Adidas shoe commercial, and it's probably my favorite commercial of all time. I've seen it 300 times where he was going through, he was, uh, there was conquistadors, or I don't know, what do they call it, the guys who wave the red? flag at balls and they matadors
0: matador, matador.
5: <laughs> he was going he was doing dribbling drills going in and out of matadors holding up the red uh sheet and it was like just the coolest commercial and at the end of it he like dunked it I don't, it's kind of stupid when you say it but it was just something about that commercial i loved it and i that's just Derek
4: rose it's good that he's playing for the pistons i'm loving everything that he's doing right now <laughs> there's a side to me that as well as he's playing and they're, they're, I think they're 2-2 two and two right now. I mean, it's really early. Yeah. But, you know, Blake Griffin hasn't played yet, so obviously they need him to come back if they're even going to make any sort of run to the playoffs. But there's a side to me that hopes they don't have to rely on Rose too much so he doesn't break down at the end of the year because if he could be playing like this and, you know, they get a chance in the playoffs, that, you know, Luke Kennard is playing really well, Drummond's playing well. They got a, They got a decent little team going.
0: Yeah, they do, and a decent coach. So, I mean, if they can stay healthy – you know they could maybe get a five-six seed, possibly, and maybe if they could win one round in the playoffs, that's a step in the right direction.
4: Do You still think uh, the Pistons should have taken Donovan Mitchell over Luke Kennard? <laughs> you know everyone's been tweeting at me about Luke Kennard's stat lines lately. Donovan Mitchell,
5: why are we even debating this? No, I do. I do <laughs> still think that we should have Donovan Mitchell on the roster. But I will say this about Luke Kennard. I mean, how about that? Opening night, he comes out puts him a thirty-piece. I never saw a world where he could possibly do that. So, hand up on that. I was at least somewhat wrong about Luke Kennard, but he's still not very good, and we still definitely made a huge mistake drafting him instead of Donovan Mitchell. All
0: right, guys, before we wrap up the show, let's check in and see what's going on with the straps. We've got Jake and Jack.
3: Hey, guys. It's me, Jake. My probation ended a few months ago and i'm back home now living with mom and dad my dad is unloading groceries so i thought i'd simply say hello and get your opinion on a song i wrote for the defeat of notre dame hey jared maybe we can play fantasy football sometime and get together and have a couple beers beer beer i watched the whole game irish played awful can't blame the rain watch out spartans or buckeyes i just might go out and get real high what a difference one week makes release coach harbaugh from the burning stakes redeem our season wolverines give us four more victories yeah that sounds real good guys that's all i have for today and uh Jerry, I'll see you soon with fantasy. I think my dad's coming. Hang on.
6: Hey, give me that stupid phone, Jake.
3: Sorry, Dad.
6: Jake, just shut that stupid music off, too. I can't stand that fight song. My goodness, but I loved the victory on Saturday night. Matt, Fred, Jerry, I'll jump right in by saying, really? Have I seen a Michigan team go from the low of the first half of Penn State to playing at this high level they've been playing for the past six quarters? Well, that must have been one hell of a halftime speech over at Beaver Stadium, and something seemed to click with that offense because they seemed like a fine-tuned machine at this point. Hey, you know, it got me thinking back of the 1969 season, uh, Bo's first at Michigan. Do you guys realize in week three they were trounced by Missouri 40-17 to 17? And this year in week three, we were manhandled by Wisconsin 35 to 14. And that 69 team went on to lose to the Spartans in game five. But guess what? They demolished Illinois and Iowa 57 to nothing and 51 to 6, respectively, while ending Big Ten play with what many believe to be the biggest upset in college football history, as they defeated the number one Buckeyes 24-12. I'm not guaranteeing a win, guys, against the Buckeyes, but I will guarantee you that that game will not end with a score like last year, 62-39. to 39. Forget the early season issues, guys. The Wolverines defeated a solid Notre Dame team. That was not a fluke. So I am drinking the new Kool-Aid. This newfound confidence will carry them for the rest of the season. Let's be honest, they've played below expectations to this point, so go blue skies ahead. I'd like to end with a quick little clip on the Cleveland Browns. What a mess in that kitchen. Hey, Watson, you could have drafted a quarterback, but you drafted a baker. Rather than celebrating with champagne, they got drunk on Odell. This kitchen is new, but the appliances seem to malfunction, and they should be a whole lot better at this junction. That rhymed. The baker's creating plenty of turnovers, guys, and they don't smell real good either, and they wasted a lot of bread in the oven. This season started out in the blender, and it's going down the disposal quickly. Get rid of the kitchen Send your baker to Hell's Kitchen for further training and tell baker to shut his pie hole because what he said about Daniel Jones, it just takes the cake. I could smell that bread burning in the oven right now. So shut down this kitchen and have the house inspected. And all that burning bread you're tossing out is igniting a big dumpster fire. Come on, Browns. Cleveland is hungry for a winning team, and they deserve it, just like us Lion fans deserve it. All right, guys, I got to go uh, do something, probably beat Jacob up or something. See you later.
0: Thanksgiving weekend. Boy, we can only hope it's a 1969 replay. And uh, Jack and I, boy, we're on the same boat there. It's very scary, the comparisons on this year's team and that 69 squad of Bo. Well, that's going to do it for now. Follow and send your comments to us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at Three Point Pod. Subscribe and rate us on all the big podcasting sites, including Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud, and all the others. And support our Three Point Podcast partners, which include Advanced Elevator, Sheridan Realty and Auction Company, Rivals Tap House and Grill, the Corona Connection, Card Service Michiana, and Promec Engineering. Special thanks goes out to our guest, Ryan Terpstra. You can follow him on Twitter, at Terp himself. And we want to thank him for hopping on board again. Always good stuff. Be sure to check out our network friends, Z92.5 The Castle and Sports Radio Detroit. Remember, this has been a Sportsnet Michigan Radio Network production recorded at the WJSZ Studios in Owasso, Michigan. Thanks again for listening to and supporting 3 Point Podcast.
1: And I thought that it would be groovy if we summon up the posse and dumb bush the movies. I got Angie, Jeff got Tina. Eddie Rock got some girl I've never seen in my life. That was all right, though, because the lady was chill. Then we dipped to the theater, set to ill bugging, co having a ball. And something about Elm Street was the movie we saw. The way it started was decent, you know, nothing real fancy about this homeboy named Fred and this girl named Nancy. But word, when it was over, I said, yo, that was death. And everything seemed all right when we left. But when I got home and laid down to sleep, That began the nightmare Nightmare. on on my street with sweat and man, I was bugging. I checked the clock, it had stopped at 12:30. It had melted, it was so darn hot, and I was thirsty. I wanted something cool to quench my thirst. I thought to myself, yo, this heat is the worst. But when I got downstairs, I noticed something was wrong. I was home all alone, but the TV was on. I thought nothing of it. As I grabbed the remote, I pushed the power button, and then I almost choked when I heard this awful voice coming from behind. It said, you must die. Man, I ain't even wait to see who it was. Broke outside in my drawers and screamed so long, cuz. Got halfway up the block, I calmed down and stopped screaming, then thought, oh, I get it, I must be I thought (laughs) I wasn't scared of him anyway Until I noticed those rips in my sheets And that was proof that there had been a nightmare on my street Oh man, I gotta call Jeff I gotta call Jeff Come on, come on Come on Jeff, answer Jeff, Jeff listen. Jeff, you would want? you listen to me? Whatever you do, don't fall asleep. No, Jeff, listen to me. No, don't no. go to I sleep, tomorrow, Jeff, Jeff. Ah! Jeff, ah! Jeff. Ah! Jeff! Ah!